What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here, and this is the Pit Show where I unwind and vent slash hope to educate, entertain, edutain. I don't know. Do something on this microphone. And I'll also share a conversation that I had with a wonderful friend of mine from the internet. And today, I'm going to talk about a couple of things, but my guest is going to be uh, someone that I, I met over Twitter, which is how most things tend to work these days. But uh, we're gonna, we're not going to be talking to someone in the tech space. We're actually going to be talking to someone in the psychology space, but also a podcaster that loves rom-com novels. And that is my good friend Anu uh, from Lagos, Nigeria. So I am super excited to talk about that. But I want to share a little bit about the experience that I had this past week and also a few minutes before jumping into this recording. So let's dive deep into that, starting with one of the things that I got to do this week. I got to give my first presentation as a developer advocate to the public. And it was awesome. Like, it was great. Like, I got to talk to the black and brown students at Philly Hacks, which is, you know, a really cool thing to do. As y'all know, I love helping to encourage and inform and entertain uh, folks of color that there are different approaches than what doesn't work for us in most cases, but also what allows for what allowed for me to gain the success that I have had in my career. So in that, I saw something very dreadful as I was nervous, nervous and anxious and trying to figure out what I was doing. I noticed that things have not changed in the job fair slash recruiting age in like at least a decade. And I mean that as in, even in the digital times of COVID and everything else, where normally you would just walk in and you would pass out your resume to people. Now people were joining our rooms and going, hello, my name is da 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 And I'm just going to keep, I'm going to like basically copy and paste this message that says, here's my name. Here's what I'm studying. Here's what I'm interested in. This is the type of jobs that I'm looking for. Here's a link to my portfolio. And then of course, here's my LinkedIn account because we all know LinkedIn is the pop in social media uh, these days. So once I noticed that, I immediately became relaxed because what I remembered was that nobody knows what they're doing. And at the end of the day, we're all using bad information to inform and teach people. And I mentioned the exact sentiment of, of that in a conversation that I had just a few moments ago, where I someone had reached out to me after a meetup saying, hey, I heard that you're an expert in the industry, which I was like, <laughs> you heard wrong. Uh, first of all, I'm not an expert. I am, I'm just making it up as I go along. But they asked if, if they could ask some questions, if they could, you know, get some information and just, you know, spend some time, which I translated that into, 
hey, do you want to show off some of your stuff? Okay, cool. Tell me about it. So that's what I did for about 45 minutes was, you know, bore them to death with all the cool projects that I think are cool. But the idea that I was trying to get across in that, you know, 30 minutes of pure hell for them probably was you don't have to build the standard. Like you can make your own standard show title. Like you can do things your way and get results. Case in point, I got hired for my podcasting ability, not my programming ability. More than anything, it was, hey, do you know how to code? You do? Okay, that's cool. Do you know how to talk? That's what's really more important. And what I think that a lot of companies, a lot of beginners, a lot of students are, they fail to realize, and it's not their fault, it's their teachers, it's their instructors, it's the people that are mentoring them. What they're being, what they're not being told is that the technical skills don't matter. And I know people probably want to shut this off. Some people are going to be really upset that I said that because they've worked their entire career learning all the technical stuff to prove how much they know when at the end of the day, the technical side of it doesn't matter. What matters is, can you get the result? That's all people want is the result. Can you get the result? If your job is to make sure that widget A meets the standard. Cool. Just do that. Do whatever coding language you want to use. If you want to do it by hand, there might be a problem with scale, but sure, whatever. Do that. My projects take away the seriousness of development and inject fun inject the idea of I can use this for virtually anything. I don't have to build with the idea of this. Someone needs to take my demo code, my portfolio code and inject it into a project that's, you know, generating billions of dollars of revenue. Like, no, you're not going to be a solo developer on a project that's making a billion dollars worth of revenue. You're just not. You're going to be in charge of a few lines of that code, making sure that those few lines are as spec'd out as possible. More than anything, they need to be able to ask you, can you accomplish this thing? And you need to be able to say yes. How you accomplish it does not matter. And that's this, that's the biggest career advice I could give anybody. Stop caring about the traditional process. If I were in a position to hire someone, I want to hire somebody that had the wherewithal to solve a problem that was important to them and be able to explain it to me in a way that it now became important to me. A good example of that is from a talk, and I'll add it to the show notes, from a developer and ex-convict, Shahid Stepter-Wallace. Shah spent his entire formative young adult years behind bars in prison. What he did is not important. The thing is, he used the ability 
to of of being locked up to get introduced to a technical program that he succeeded to go through to get internships to get jobs at lower rates and to excel his career to a point where now he makes a living as a developer now it is hard for an ex-convict to get a job at mcdonald's let alone as a developer so for me the way that he was able to explain the journey made me both upset, inspired, angry, all of those things. And it made me want to see reform happen in the prison system. It made me want to see opportunities for growth within the prison system. The problems never changed, but someone had enough passion and vigor about it and the ability to work outside of what the traditions were to express to me why this was important and convince me that I should get involved. It's a very powerful talk. It's a very powerful conversation. If you haven't heard it, I would highly recommend listening to that talk. But that's the thing. Companies are using tactics that are free to generate millions of dollars off of the backs of people who would be having fun otherwise. So for me, instead of writing programs that express how I could follow and color within the lines, I want to show that I'm capable of creating art. And I mean that in the least of douchiest of ways. I want to show that I'm capable of taking things that are important to me, like diversity and inclusion, combining them to things that I'm familiar with, like Twitter, and using that to advance a position that I'm at, i.e. how in my job, I'm in charge of our diversity and inclusion meetup initiative, and I'm able to identify potential candidates for sponsorship by ingesting Twitter list information and storing it into Airtable. Does it involve programming? Yeah. Will I get a couple of good talks out of it? Oh, definitely. But at the end of the day, did it require anything that was taught in a computer science course? No. So... That's the advice that I have in this 10 minutes, and and we're going to cap it off with a great conversation that I have with someone from Nigeria, but I have to reemphasize the best advice or the worst advice, depending on who you're asking, is do things that are important to you, do things that are fun, try to combine the two, and if you get to throw a little bit of programming in the mix, sure, do that. But ultimately, work on passion. Work off of passion, not off of tradition. Because we're breaking traditions. Traditions can't withstand COVID-19, let alone a new generation of creators. That has been the biggest gatekeeping technique ever, is if you can withstand doing the boring work, then you can land this job. 
I say instead of that, build things that are fun. You can still learn the boring stuff by injecting a little fun into it. But that's going to be it for my thoughts. Let's hear the thoughts of someone else. Up next is a conversation that I had a few months back with my good friend Anu. She is a poet. She is a psychotherapist. And she is the host of Sorry, I Only Read Rom-Coms, which is a podcast about rom-com novels. And we talk about how culture has really shifted and the idea of being able to talk about things that aren't really popular these days. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Anu. with me all the way from Lagos, which is a first. I've never interviewed anyone from Lagos before, so that is absolutely amazing, and I'm excited. She is a clinical psychologist, a poet, and the host of Sorry I Only Read Rom-Coms. I am talking with Anu Jide Ojo. Anu, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's 4 a.m. here, and I'm just... Yes, um, but I'm good. I'm usually up at this time or just about to go to bed. So it's just, I guess my, my whole system is like, oh, what are we doing? Are we being productive now or are we trying to shut down? But outside of that, I'm good. Well, that's insane. The morning is just starting for you and the day is coming to an end over here. So I, I think this is going to be a great conversation, but please, I, I definitely haven't done enough for your intro so please let everybody know a little bit more about yourself okay um my name is Anu and i'm a clinical psychologist i work as a psychologist for the initiative for equal rights which is an ngo primarily focused on fighting for the human rights of everybody regardless of their orientation gender and stuff like that. Outside of that, I write poetry. It's just like my way of figuring out the world because sometimes it gets a bit intense and I just want to understand what is happening there. And um, in July, I started a podcast called Sorry, I Only Read Rom-Com, which is just sort of my way of poking holes at um, a genre that I've read almost too much of. So I just wanted to do something about it. So that's pretty much me. So one of the things, and and we were talking about it before we got started, but I listened to the the latest episode at, at the time that we're recording this, and mm-hmm. it seemed like you were also tying in current events with uh, traditional beliefs or misconceptions and your love for romantic comedy books. Is yeah, is that? kind of the idea going into uh, I only read rom-coms? Um, with that particular episode, I think you're talking about writing content in rom-coms. Yes. Um, on Twitter, there was just like this whole um, scene about the song um, by Cardi. And, uh, and it was interesting seeing different people's perspective on it. Some people were just on um, for it screaming in support and of course there was now like the purity culture side coming out and I was just like every every all of this perspective just from one 
song. Why why I can't just listen to it and pass? But there are all like these things pieces around it. And um at the end of the day when we, I looked at it, I found that um people that were uncomfortable with it were uncomfortable with the idea of agency direct uncomfortable with the idea of women trying to have a sex like okay it's not actually consent it's actually agency and um, can we try this instead yeah so they're just uncomfortable with the idea of women actually liking sex and that is something that people that we have sort of gotten over time we're supposed to be naive about it or we're supposed to be working behind the ears about it and now that women are more outspoken about it everybody is it's like, oh, okay, what would this look like? And, and it's like, it's it. So I, I definitely feel like in that case, it, it, it really makes sense that 2020 being the tornado of a year that it has been, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there are so many things being questioned, so many things being challenged. And even in an area where we're trying to lighten the mood, you know, like you said, you Mm -hmm. know, this is, this is a podcast about something that you love, something that you're passionate about. And, and it it feels like 2020 has just found a way to like get its hands into everything now. Definitely. Definitely. Like you have so much time at the same time, too little time. So there's an urgency about everything. But because everybody's at home sitting and waiting, the things that we decide to dive into gets almost too much attention. So it's intensified. That makes a lot of sense. So I have not ever talked to someone that is super into like uh, rom-com books or rom-com movies, unless you ask my wife, she loves rom-com movies. <laughs> but I, I feel like the rom-com book scene is not as popular. So I'm sure there's going to be a couple of people listening that want some really good recommendations on where to get started. So I've got to ask you, like, what what is your best recommendation on getting into the genre? Oh, my God. That's the hardest question ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> huh. Okay, off the top of my head, I'll recommend any book by Melissa Braden. And I would also recommend Americana by Chimamanda. And finally, Under the Udala Tree by Tinelo Oparanta. Okay, I'm good. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what is what is it about the genre that that just captivates you or, or keeps you hooked in? I gotta know. I think um, it's just the idealism that it sells, and it's the fact that there's just um, an expected flow to it. So, ro- I feel like at the end of the day, romance isn't trying to be mysterious it's not trying to keep you on your toes it is just person one meets person two they have a good conversation they vibe then we, we get to see what that conversation leads to and then of course there's that separation where each person tries to think about what they look like without the other person and the final reunion it's almost a safe way of just navigating um a story 
And because life is in itself is very unpredictable, life in itself is not so safe. Life in itself, you can't just like follow that pattern while reading, uh, while leaving. When I read a, a rom-com, I just feel like, okay, for the next one day, I know that these two people are going to meet, they're going to date, and they're going to live happily ever after. And there's a sort of safety there that creates a good escape for me. So that is one of the reasons why I like rom-com. I love that explanation. And I think that that's something that, again, kind of like right now, it it helps to just have some area of brightness. You know, that's that's something that I've seen online a lot now is that the the level of people being depressed, the level of people, you know, tired of being cooped up, especially here in America where we can't figure anything out by the time this airs we probably still won't have things figured out so who knows Mm -hmm. but i one of the things that really got me excited about doing this interview was the idea of there it has to be lighthearted it has to be fun and it it has to still mean something to people and i think that that's Mm -hmm. something that you know this particular genre can do like it can be lighthearted it can be you know, a lot of a lot of people talk about how some of the movies, they always have the same trope. You know, you have yeah. someone yeah. who yeah. is attractive but has a major flaw, someone else who's attractive mm-hmm. and has a major flaw. They get together. At first you think they wouldn't they wouldn't kick it off, but then they make each other laugh or, you know, hilarity ensues and then they wind up yeah. really falling and then each other's flaws come up and then they get into a big fight and then they leave and then their friends tell them, no, you're stupid. Get back, you know, get together. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You can't talk about a rom-com without just getting into that wistful side. Even if you want to be cynical about it, it just creates like a sort of lightheartedness that you buy into at any point in time. And I just love it for that. So I have to ask, you're a clinical psychologist. Yeah. Do you think, and, and you're also a poet, so I don't want to, I don't want to leave any of those stones out of this. Do you okay. think that your fascination with rom-coms helps or plays to or against some of the other things that you do? Uh, so when I started so I will just tie this answer to like your bigger answer. When I started the podcast, I deliberately wanted something light because I had, I mean, being a psychologist at in 2020 is a lot because you're navigating your own um, coping mechanism and you're helping hundreds of people navigate theirs and that can be overwhelming. So I, I deliberately picked the topic rom-com so that I'm not thinking about anything psychological. I'm not thinking about anything traumatic. I just want to buy into a light story. So to answer your question, yes. Um, when you listen to someone's story, you almost um, want to wonder, how did you survive this? What happened? Like what went wrong? Like you met this person that created this sort of impact in your life. But you read a book and instead of that story having a traumatic ending, you're you're seeing two people meet each other to make each other's life better or lighter or easier to navigate. 
So yes, it just helps me carry the heaviness of what my job will give me. It helps me carry it well, or at least create like a lighter balance. Like, hey, I'm not requiring anything from you here, but your size and your laughter, maybe a couple of eye rolls, but that's fine. I'm good either way. So yes, that's a question, yes. I know you can't give any details, but have you ever had uh, someone that you're working with um, and on the psychology side where you just picture their life being its own rom-com story? Hmm. Funny thing. Yes, actually. Yes. Um, yes. I had, uh, okay, I can't give details, but I had like two clients separately. And very recently I, I, I found out that they were dating each other. And I was so excited. I was like, what? Oh, oh. I was so excited. I was just like, I was just so excited. I I still haven't unpacked why I was that excited, but there was just something to tell. Like, nobody mentioned that, oh, by the way, my partner is your client. Oh, by the way. They're just like individually talking about each person. And at some point, I just put them together. Oh, wow. These people are talking about each other. That's just cool. And they actually like each other. They're in love with each other. I was like, oh, that's what means it. So, yes, that's the only situation that I have pictured that rom com element to it. But it was it was cute to see. Okay, so, Anu, I'm, I'm wondering, you started a podcast. Why a podcast, first of all? Uh... So I was um, I was in a conversation. I had a conversation with my friend, and I was just gushing about this book. I tend to be evangelical about books that I like, and she was like, "You should start a podcast." So I started a podcast. That's why I started. A podcast. That's a, that's a really. I mean, that's a, a very real answer. Someone's like, "You should do this." You're like, "You know what? I think I will." <laughs> that's <great>. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a really famous uh reader that has a podcast um goes by the name of lavar burton um okay. a, lot of, a lot of people know him from star trek as Jordy laforge some people know him as you know himself in reading rainbow like something i grew mm-hmm. up watching are you familiar with uh, lavar burton i've heard his name but i don't know his work yeah, so his his whole thing has been like an entire lifetime of just trying to get kids excited about reading and reading fiction. Oh, nice. So um, nice. I I thought nice. about this and I was like, I'm talking to like the LeVar Burton of like rom-com novels. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very, I, I will take that. I will write that down somewhere and say, yes, I, I have been called this. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so for you, was it was it just... Was it you want to like get people into the genre? You just want to have a place to talk about about it, especially right now where, you know, it's kind of hard to reach out to a friend and hang out and just have a conversation that way. It, what was like, I know you said that someone just told you to to start a podcast about it, but like what kept you going? Because a lot of these podcasts just fade out after a couple of episodes. Hmm. What kept me going was I I wanted um, to have something that I could refer to because I I also have that personality to start start something and not finish it through. But I actually wrote this down a couple of days ago. I think this 
I think last week when I was struggling with the last episode. And then I wrote down, like, why did I start this podcast? I said, number one, to build my consistency muscle. So I'm actually reading out from my notes now. Um, two, to show my script writing skills and pitch it, to put myself out there and step outside my comfort zone, to escape the rules that I have written about myself that, um, oh, I'm too shy to have a podcast or it's somebody else that can do it, not to me. Just to escape that, oh, I'm too awkward to talk about these things to people, especially when it talks about sex or things that are almost personal, even though I don't get super personal in the podcast. And to give myself something to do while I navigate this season and to have fun and escape the heaviness that comes with my work sometimes and to do something that will make me proud of myself. So at the end of each episode, there's at the end of um, each prep because I write down everything that I say before I record an episode. When I'm done with that process, I just feel so proud of myself. So I guess I always reach for that feeling and refer to that feeling when it just feels overwhelming and I I have that when the ginger, we call it ginger in Nigeria, when that motivation is out, I just reach for that and remember how you felt when you finished this episode. Okay, like pull from that and write this next one. So that is why that's what keeps me going uh, when it comes to writing or doing the podcast. I love that. And and that is that is something that I can relate to so much. I mean this show we're in, I, I don't even have the season number anymore. I just say we're in the 2020 season. Uh, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, we've done, I've done hundreds of shows at this point and there are always times where I'm just like, I don't have enough time for this right now. It's, it's taking too much out of me. You know, I think around the time that my daughter was born, I was like, I'm, I'm done for a while. <laughs> like I just need a break. Mm. I need to sleep. Oh. And I can imagine. So when, um, but now like every time I get back into the swing of it, like I start doing interviews, I start having conversations with people and it it almost reminds me of like, Hey, this is why you got into doing this. Like it wasn't about, and, and once upon a time it was, it was super professional and it was all about like, Oh, tell me about the best productivity, you know, all that stuff. That's like really, really boring after you've done it a hundred times. And then it was like, you know what? I want to have great conversations. And now it's like, I feel like I'm blessed because like my, in my day job, I'm talking business and I'm talking development and all that stuff. But then I get to leave that and have these great conversations with people. And it it tends to never be about the professional side. It's always about the fun. It's about the like, I'm enjoying a thing. So I, I want to ask is, do you ever see yourself doing a clinical psychology <laughs> podcast? Is that is that something that even is on the table for you right now? No, no, no. I'm very keen on, okay, I'm very excited about my job. I think my job ties to my purpose in life and I'm going to take it all the way. But I'm also very, very vigilant about not building a brand around being a clinical psychologist alone. And I want to be able to step away from it at the end of my day. I don't think about anxiety, depression, all of that um, 
interesting stuff by the time I'm done um, with my clients or with the research that I'm doing or whatever, I just want to step out of that. And there's a, I'd also carry that into um, 2 a.m. when I'm writing about a podcast episode, you know. So, so that's that, that, you know. I, I think that's, that's awesome, though. I mean, that's something that a lot of people have set themselves up not to have. You know, I'm, I'm a part of the tech Twitter sphere. So I often see, you know, folks that are, they talk about tech during the day. They talk about tech at night. And it's just like, do you, do you ever turn that off and like have fun or talk about sports or talk about a book or a movie? And it's like, no, it's like they're, they're always yelling about the same thing for, you know, 18, 20 hours a day. And. And then those are always the people that are like, I have to take a break from social media for a while. <laughs> it's like, why? Well, it sounds like you need to take a break from yourself for a while and allow yourself mm-hmm. to, to just not think about that. And I mean, for me, I'm, I'm in this new season of my life where, you know, the thing that I enjoyed doing for so long outside of work is soon becoming a nine to five responsibility. So. I'm going to be trying to figure out like, all right, what can I do? Like, what what can I do to, to get away from that? And and I've been encouraged by, you know, following folks like you and um, shout out to another really amazing developer, Lorena Mesa. Uh, she shows both sides of the sphere 24-7. Like, she is very real. She's very technical and then afterwards, she's like, yo, I'm going for a run. And then after that, I'm going to go read a book and I'm going to sit on my porch and light candles and just kind of hang out. And I'm like, yes, that's what I need in my life. I need the separation of me in my businessy mode and then me in my fun mode. And you you said something there that was really interesting because you said you don't want your personal brand to be all about just the psychology side of it. Yes. Yes. Do you feel like, um, do you ever feel like that no. gets in the way of like growth in that industry or anything like that? Cause we, we were told that I feel like we're tricked into that of like, you have to be constantly focused in this area. Otherwise you'll never get promoted. You'll never move up the ladder or, or you know, all of those weird things that people convince us into being so absorbed into our day jobs for like 24 hours a day? Um, sometimes I worry about that, but I have that conversation with myself that this is why you are intentional about not pulling clinical psychology or just your job in general into your personal space. So it sometimes um, I come on Twitter and I'm very um, conversant with the tech space. Someone was talking about how um, tech Twitter kind of has their whole CV on their bio. So in Nigeria, they'll say X this, X company, X company. Now I did, now I that. And it took me even, it took me, I think it was even last week or two weeks ago before I put my company on my Twitter bio because I want to be able to tweet that I'm eating cookies this evening or I'm craving banana bread or I'm watching this show and this person is just absolutely ridiculous and half the time it's going to be a reality TV show or just like or something on interior design just something very random because I want my 
space to be, I want an outlet for it. And it's that, it's an ongoing conversation in my head that, okay, this is why you need this space. And it's an ongoing conversation because sometimes I worry that, oh, I'm not doing the brand thing enough that do people know that, oh, I'm a clinical psychologist, especially as a clinical psychologist, that's, oh, that's LGBT affirming because it's a thing in Nigeria that um, people will see a therapist and they'll expect like a judgmental space. So it's like, I mean, you have to push that out there and put it out there. And I think that is important, but I also remind myself that I mean you need this outlet. You need to be able to go on Instagram and just read people's posts and not to want to think about content. You want to be able to tweet without thinking, oh, this is good content. You just want to tweet and just like go in and go and read a book or go and sleep or prepare for your day tomorrow and that's it. But yes, it's something I struggle with as well and I have to justify that in my head. And oftentimes I mean so that's cool. It definitely is a challenge, and especially when there are, there's like so much growth and loss in social media as a whole. Like just the idea mm-hmm. of, you know, some job opportunities that I got, I got because I was active on social media. However, there were also so many bad experiences that I had to deal with because I was on social media. And, and for me, like my entire, the entire marketing arm of this podcast, how I book guests, how I find interesting topics to cover and all of these things are centered around Twitter. And I, I don't support Facebook in any way. So I don't have any, I don't get on Instagram at all, but like even okay. that. Like the idea of having to make decisions of like, well, I don't like what a company does. So I am going to forego interacting with hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people online because of what a company is doing or because of what may happen, um, you know, 10 years down the road when someone is interviewing me and all of a sudden they want to pull up a post and they were like, well, what was this about? You know, this isn't technical. This is, mm-hmm. you know, you bowling. And it's like, we need you to be on brand for us 24 seven. Like one, I don't want to ever work in a place that requires me to be on brand 24 seven. But at the same time, like, like you said, it's, it's almost like an unfair expectation that we're putting on one another because of the idea of the potential that social media has and that how it can impact our career positively and it can lead to new opportunities and introduces to all these new people. But at the same time, I think that if we don't give ourselves space to be ourselves, it's almost like a romantic comedy in itself. Like people are going to become enamored with what the thought of you is only to meet the real you and see this giant hole in perspective of like what this person's all about. And it, unless, unless you are visible with all sides of you, then that's the only way that people can actually get to know who you are and choose to either accept you or not based on that. Definitely. Definitely. Although, um, an argument can be made about um, if social media is the best place to be that transparent or that visible about all the sides of you because uh, social media kind of almost demands that you curate 
um, who you choose to present. If not, um, there's almost there are some consequences for it. There's very little room for dialogue um, to exchange ideas and allow people to let go of some things that are problematic. But um, being vulnerable with your true self and making room for your true self is almost like a muscle that you need to build. The more you are able to say, okay, today I'm not going to be a brand, today I'm going to be a person. If you do that tomorrow and next tomorrow, you find that it becomes a bit more easy to connect all the sides of you as opposed to you requiring that constant persona that, okay, today I am this um, professional page, I'm this professional facade. And yeah, so yeah, I agree with that. That is a good point that you, there is like this idea of curation, even even in our flaws, like we're curating our flaws. We're saying like, okay, I want people to see this mistake, not not the crazy mistake I made or like, you know, my favorite's like when my daughter stabs me with a toothbrush because she doesn't quite know how to brush her teeth on her own, but yet she wants mm-hmm. to try. Mm-hmm. Like no nobody wants to see those posts because they're ugly. And so I, I can definitely exactly. get that. And, and I yeah. wonder how do we... How do we create a space for us to, and do we even, well, actually, do we even need to create a space for that? Is it okay to have just a little piece of us that's like, no one needs to know that I love bowling a lot, <laughs> you know, like, no, does no one needs to know that? Um. I think it depends on the person, right? Yeah, you're certainly entitled to keeping some sides of you to yourself. I think I'll be more interested in knowing the why behind the behind you not wanting people to know that you like certain things. Is it because you think that it's a weakness? Is it because you think that it's not good enough? Or is it because you just want to have that personal time with your bullying mate or with your family? So there's a difference between the two. If, if like the intent is just like you um, thinking that it's some sort of weakness or whatever, then I would also interrogate that. But if you just want personal time with yourself, like ah, actually I'm just fine keeping some things to myself and I just want to share this side of me with my family, that is okay. But it's more of an intense thing than the action itself. been listening to my conversation with Anu. Thank you so much, Anu, for being a guest. I am so... I was super pumped after talking to her. Um, one, it made me want to go visit Lagos a lot, and if you're wondering about that, then check out the after show. Again, the after show will just play as soon as this is over. Um, as, soon as, you, as soon as the music ends, the next conversation really begins, but... By all means, if if you enjoyed this conversation, let me know. Let Anu know. You can follow us both. Information will be in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about the projects that I'm working on, the things that I'm doing for fun, be sure to head over to kjaymiller.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, there I will talk about stuff uh, whenever I get to writing something. Uh, I will also have blog posts on that side as well, which will talk about fun stuff that I've discovered around the internet, like the Tafoder uh, and 
YouTube videos and other stuff and content from people that are much smarter than I am that are talking about things that are inspiring and interesting and cool and amazing. But that's going to do it for this week. You've been listening to The Pitch Show. I've been your host, Jay Miller. For more, you can follow me on Twitter and on all the other things at KJAY Miller. And have a good day. Hello, Jamila. How's it going? I'm doing great. This is this has really been fun. I this was like I feel bad that it's like getting late now. It's like 8:45 at night, and I'm not going to want to go to sleep. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm always so excited to be a part of an interesting conversation. So yes, welcome. So my first question to you is: What has your daughter taught you about yourself? that I'm a big baby because she does stuff. And then I got to like hide in the corner and just cry a little bit and like, Oh, that's a, I'm a baby. <laughs> she, she really is. She'll, she catches me like in my own drama. Like I can be having a bad day for no good reason and just be all upset with life and everything else. And she does not care. She just wants to play. She wants to sing songs. She wants to dance. She wants to have a good time. So I think she helps keep me out of my own drama and out of my own little moodiness at times, because she's like, I don't have time for that. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Okay. So my second question is, what are you grateful to 2024? I mean, it's so strange because there's a, there's a really good tweet about this. Actually. Uh, Someone was, someone had said that they've been having a great year they had gotten promoted. They had gotten, you know, their first place. Like life was looking up for them, but they felt bad because of all of the negative going on around them. And like, mm-hmm. I had to chime in because I felt the exact same way. Like this has been a really good year for me. I got like the job that I've always wanted. I've gotten, you know, new toys to play with and stuff. Again, my daughter is at that age where like now things are. You can actually have conversations with her and, you know, you get to have those experiences. I used to have to go Mm. into an office to work every day. Now I get to work from home and I will be working from home for the foreseeable future with my new job. And I get to watch my daughter grow up and I've gotten to watch her grow up this year. And as sad as it makes me, you know, again, I'm going to go in the corner and cry for a minute. But, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm also so excited to have that opportunity And to just hold on to those moments. Awesome. I like that you said, I get to know that I have to. That is so exciting. I like that perspective. Okay. My next question is, what is one conversation that you've had that you would never forget? I think the best conversation, especially recently, is having a conversation with a relative who is in a, an interracial couple and mm. them not understanding. Cause you know, they're, they're white and their husband is um, Colombian. And then I'm black and my wife is white. And 
for her to reach out to me and just say, like, I thought I understood because of the circumstances, but I really don't. And to have Mm. that conversation and to, to be able to have, to talk to someone who can see it and can, can relate, but can't really fully understand because they haven't lived it. Mm. I think that was, that was like a really impactful conversation to me because it, it was one that they, they wanted to have. It wasn't, it wasn't one where I was like, well, we need to have this conversation. It was, they were like, no, I don't understand this. Please help me to understand. And, you know, there are, there are some amazing folks out there online that are just like, I'm here to teach y'all how to not be racist, how to be anti-racist, how to, you know, do all of these things. And I always looked at that as, as a way of like saying, here's a thing that y'all should already know. Why are you not doing this? But then at the same time to, to really be able to sit down with someone that says, no, look, you're right. I should know, but I don't. And I don't know why I don't know. And I really want your help in figuring that out. There's a difference between me saying, I need to tell you this and people saying, no, I, I want to learn this. Please help me. Um, I think that that's something that. I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I'm still trying to figure out like, how can I help people? How can I identify and help people that just that want to understand that are struggling to figure that out? So I I think that was probably like the most memorable conversation that I've had, um, especially this year. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. I think the last question that I have for you is, what are you most curious about? So this is this is going to be one of my like only because I saw this earlier today, and now I'm <laughs> I really am wondering. So there were a couple of BBC like docu series that came out like in the last month or two about Americans moving from like the city into parts of Africa that are just like, I never would have thought of. And mm. like people going saying, I moved from like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Tanzania and like my life is better for it. And like, for me, that's, I, I don't know if I could ever make that jump, but mm. a lot of it is because, you know, my, my wife loves family. I would love to travel. And of course I would, I would, Mm -hmm. I would pay a lot of money to go make that trip over to, to a bunch of different parts of Africa. But the idea of saying, I am, I am done with this culture. I'm done with this lifestyle. I am going to start fresh, truly fresh in a new country and, and begin that experience all over again, especially like some of the people were like in their 50s and 60s and they were retiring and saying, oh, I'm wow. going to enjoy my retirement starting over. So that is that is just something that while I'm sure I like I am absolutely positive that there are amazing things to do. My my former boss actually grew up in Cape Town and like 
we have a lot of these conversations. I'm sorry. No, he grew up in Johannesburg. <laughs> I have to remember okay. that because he, okay. he will be the one that listens to this and then like yells at me later. So I have to get that right. <laughs> but like I've heard stories and I've heard a lot of, of amazing things. But but again, it's like that thing of like I can only imagine what it would be like to just give all of that up and to start completely over in a new country, in a new continent with new culture, new experiences, in some places, a new language, and just do it. Hmm. Maybe one day you get a chance to. Maybe you even come to Lagos, Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I would love to travel to Nigeria. Nigeria. So like Nigeria, Ghana, and like parts of Sudan are some of the areas that I would at least want to visit for like an extended mm-hmm. for like about a month. And at that point, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know after a month. I, I like to, When I travel, I want to travel long enough to like start to learn about the culture and to learn about some of the things that go on. Cause I mean, a lot of people they'll travel and they'll go see all the tourist spots and you know, they'll, they'll visit and they'll eat the food and, and that's it. But like, I want, I want someone to like take me to their house and like feed me and have like a real conversation. <laughs> and like the mm. only way you can do that is to really get to know someone over a period of time and have those conversations. Hmm. Okay. So maybe um, if you're coming to Lagos, Nigeria, just let me know. And okay. then I would, I would like make Amala and Jello fries. You should try the Jello fries. You've heard about the Jello fries. I need to tell you about the Jello fries. I, I used to try to do it. I, ha- I have no idea what this is. So I want to know. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's like your assignment. Google Nigeria Jollof Rice. That's okay. it. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. That. Thank you for... <laughs> Thank you for handing your podcast over to me. That was fun. I had fun. Awesome. All right. I'm going to...